ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I am your boy, 12 Kyle. Man, check this out. (laughs) On this episode, what I want to talk about is the crib. No, I'm not talking about your house or my house. Uh, But I want to talk about houses, more specifically the housing market. Um, I was listening to my man the other day. Uh, Uncle Dolomite from the Too Much Game podcast. Shout out to Uncle Dolomite. Um, and Dolomite was talking about, um, you know, his housing situation and and wanting to buy more property. And um, it got me to thinking about, you know, some of the stuff that I've talked about uh, in bits and pieces here on the podcast. Uh, I've talked to a few of you offline, uh, including Dolomite, about, you know, the housing market. Um, and I think it's, you know, times like these where I think, you know, what I know and my wisdom, I think it's is really apropos for me to share. Um, as many of you know, or maybe you don't know, uh, for the last, damn, 21, 22 years, I've worked in the um, mortgage industry as a mortgage underwriter. Uh, I now work for someplace that I'm not going to name, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I am somewhat of an expert, if you will. Um, and so what I wanted to get on here and talk about is just not just the housing market, but like what all it entails and, you know, some of the obstacles that we have faced. And when I say we, I'm speaking more specifically to a demographic or demographics as far as minorities, blacks, uh, Latinos, um, and the difficulties that we've had, uh, acquiring, uh, a home, um, now it goes without saying, but I'll let you guys know uh, the home in purchasing a home. It is the biggest asset that you will ever have. Um, you know, unless you like King Germ from Pod and Save Our Marriage and you got like four Bugattis, you know, I mean, if you got four Bugattis then you know, that's, that's probably the biggest asset that he has. Um, but nah, it's, it's like a home is the biggest asset that you will ever have. Uh, it is also the biggest debt that most of us will ever have. Um, and so you have to, uh, you know, kind of keep that in mind. A home also is one of the quickest for most of us, one of the quickest ways of ascertaining generational wealth. And the reason why I say that is because even in the house that I currently sit in right now, um, I purchased this house, right? Uh, purchased this house in 2001. So when this house is finally paid off, um, it is not only an asset to me, but it has a certain amount of value. It's not a million dollar home, (laughs) but you know, it has value. And if for some reason, uh, the heirs to this home, uh, the heirs to my assets, uh, once uh, me and my wife leave this place, uh if and that would be our children our four children um if they wanted to they could take the money from this house and invest it they could build into more homes uh they could take it and flip it and and do whatever they wanted to with it because it will be willed to the four of them um and any other properties that we ascertain uh will be willed to our children uh and that's one of the quickest ways of gaining generational wealth however 
uh, in this country, it's been very difficult um, for black people uh, in particular to uh, make these type of transactions because the wealth as far as having a home and the equity or the value of the home being passed down generation to generation. Um, in a lot of cases, it hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened for a lot of reasons. Um, just to give you a brief history lesson, uh, in the what early 1900s, uh, many people, many men, if, if you will, uh, white men in particular, went off to war. They went to the Korean War. They went to World War I, World War II, so forth and so on. And the United States government said, basically said, well, hey, you know, we you can go and we'll have this GI Bill. And basically, when you come home um, because you served your country, uh, we will allow you through this program to purchase a home for you and your family. And it was a great thing. It was a, a, a tremendous thing, a tremendous opportunity for those who survived the wars um, to come home and have um a place to lay their heads a place where they could if they left wives or girlfriends uh in the united states when they came back uh from overseas from fighting in the war uh they could you know through this bill get a home in the suburbs and start a family and that was one of the many ways that they were able to build generational wealth because now if you have this property and then maybe you take some more money, you buy this property, and then you buy a property over here. Now you've got multiple properties. Uh, should you choose to rent them out, uh, you know, you can gain generational wealth as well. Um, and the the properties were passed down from generation to generation. Uh, but that didn't necessarily happen for black folk, because if you're talking about the early 1900s, uh, when black soldiers went off to fighting the war when we came back home for those of us who were able to make it back home safe and sound uh we were dealt with um racism you know segregism not tongue i'm getting tongue out uh <laughs> racism and segregation that's what i'm trying to say um so yeah we had to deal with all of that so there were no bills that said okay hey you know you can you can get a house over here what ended up happening was those of the few who were able to get homes um, in the cities and the towns, uh, they, the powers that be made sure that they had sections. So you couldn't live over here. You had to live over here in a section. And when you lived in this section, you know what was, what was neat about your section, or at least that's what they told you, was that in this section, there were other people that looked like you and walk like you and talk like you that were in that section as well so you had a section of black people over here and you had this whole big area over here white folk right and so that's how it became and it was and this happened all across the country uh it was really prevalent in the segregated south where my my mother grew up uh, my dad grew up in new jersey but um so yeah that was our history and so subsequently it evolved into what it is now and you know having a home having a home of value is still one way of ascertaining generational wealth but you can see how as the generations passed we were behind 
um, even in the 50s and 60s, when a lot of this stuff was going on, we were years behind uh, our white counterparts. And now it's to the point that when you look at the disparity between blacks and whites when it comes to real estate, uh, we are generations at this point apart. Um, and so it's not that we can't close the gap. It's going to take a lot to close the gap, but I don't even necessarily think that we as black folk need to be moving, trying to close the gap, but we have to educate ourselves on what happened, where we're going, where we are now and where we're going, you know, in the coming future. Um, you know, we, we just didn't have uh, black home ownership was very low um, in a lot of ways when you had these programs in the 60s, the 50s and 60s that, you know, encouraged people to become renters or move into housing developments. And I use air quotes uh, for those of you watching me on YouTube. Thank you for watching uh, housing developments, which would later become projects um, or the PJs or the Jacks or whatever you want to call it. And so that happened too as well. So you had a generation of some black folk who were able to move and get it homes and everything like that and start moving upward to some degree. And then you had another generation of black folks who were in housing development and some became dependent upon government assistance, so forth and so on. Um, you know, and in a lot of ways in the forties and fifties, we were just flat out denied access to home ownership. Uh, there was redlining uh, where, again, you made sure the powers that be made sure that, you know, blacks had their certain section. But in a lot of ways, we we just couldn't get home ownerships. I mean, the financing, uh, you know, the thing about financing is, is that and I, and I speak as someone who has worked in the finance industry for close to 25 years. If you don't know the game it's impossible for you to win. Let me say that again. If you don't know the game, it's impossible for you to win. There's The game isn't set up for you to even play and play well if you don't know the game. And financing is something that, um, you know, I don't think is necessarily uh, passed down or it should be really taught to young black kids not just through their parents' eyes or their parents' spectrum, but through well-trained, well-informed professionals. I think it's a course that should be taught in every class and every every school across the country. Uh, because if you understand finance, then you understand how money flows. Um, but nonetheless, uh, particularly in urban cities, uh, home ownership for Black people is a major issue because we have not gotten, quote-unquote, our piece of the pie. Um, according to, you know, recent studies here in the last, what, year or so, probably 2022, um, you know, nationally, uh, blacks only own 40%, only 41% of blacks were homeowners as opposed to 71% of white homeowners. Um, and that's, and that's a huge gap. That's a huge gap that again, it's going to take a while for us to close that gap. Now, some people, I'll be honest. I know some people who don't want to own a home who would be perfectly fine just renting and they don't want the responsibilities of having a home. Uh, they don't want the responsibilities of the maintenance of a home. 
Um, and some people are transient where they're constantly moving around. And if you're moving around, then honestly, you may not have time to be a homeowner. But for the most part, <clears throat> home ownership should be available for any and every person who so desires it. Now, obviously, you have to qualify as for credit and all that stuff like that. And I'll touch on that in just a second. But, you know, the ability to acquire a home, honestly, shouldn't be this difficult. And it has been made extremely difficult, way more difficult than than it should ever be. And um, I'll share with you guys a brief story. Um, and I, I I don't think he'll mind me sharing it, but my homie, my, my brother Baylor, uh, BTG for president, you checked out his podcast. He's been on here before as well. Uh, BTG for president as well as um, um, Oprah Run with BTG. Uh, Baylor recently bought a crib. Um, he was in a house and he and his wife recently bought a, another house and they were selling the house that they were in and moving into this new house. And, you know, he reached out to me. I think he had a question about something. And I told him, I was like, look, man, I don't care what time it is. You know, there's a three hour difference between, you know, where he is in LA and me, you know, being in Atlanta. And I'm like, look, if you got to call me at four o'clock in the morning, call me. I was like, if you got a question, you know, anything that you need, you need me to look over something. Cause all of this stuff and this stuff, the paperwork and stuff like that can be very overwhelming to some people because there's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. Um, but you know, just the whole process. And I, again, I'll let Baylor explain, you know, if he so chooses to share with you guys what he went through, but I just know some of the, the level of stress that he had, it wasn't really necessary. And I mean, like they literally had them jumping through hoops when it's like, the way the system works, the system is supposed to work and it's supposed to go in a circle and you can't make everything be moving in the circle very slow. And then as the circle is about to come full circle to speed everything up. And that's what they were trying to do. And I was just like, nah, that's bullshit. Like you, you can't do this to people. And I see this happen. If I had a dollar for uh, every time I've seen it happen, I, I'd be independently wealthy. Um, like Baylor, <laughs> but um, yeah, but I mean, like uh, all jokes aside, it, it was just it was a um, it was a tough experience. It was an experience I think that both he and his wife shouldn't have had to go through. And what I was doing was just trying to be there for my little bro and explain to him what was happening and to kind of talk him down off a ledge or whatever like that. And I think I did a pretty good job. But I mean, he's a smart cat, so I mean, he didn't need my help in that aspect, but I was, I was glad that he reached out to me. I was glad to talk to Dolomite about, you know, the possibility of buying, you know, uh, uh, some of the real estate he's talking about doing as well and what he might need. And I told him like, look, man, same thing I told Baylor. I'm like, look, if you have a question, if it's something you want to bounce off me, holler at me, get at me. It doesn't matter what time I'll get back with you. We, we have each other's phone number. So we, we, we chop it up every day, but, you know, I just want, and, I, and it's something I want to put out there to you all as well. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable uh, putting it on the public timeline as far as uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, uh, shoot me a DM. Shoot me a DM. If you have my number, 
text me, call me. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll respond. If you don't have any of that, send me an email. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I, I feel like it's my responsibility because I have information, um, to be able to pass along the information that I know the information that I have works for me in my career and it's worked for me in my career some 25 years. However, it's not important to me in my career if I can't share information with people who need the information. Um, if I can't share the information, then it's, it's useless. But if I can help someone out, that's what I'm here to do. And so, like, you know, getting back to the topic, I mean, like, disc- discrimination has been a huge part of, you know, the home buying process for Black folks. And we have to do what we can to overcome that as well as fight that whenever we see it. Um, I'm sure you've seen stories. It seems to be like there's a story every year of uh, someone who uh, a black couple who puts their house on the, you know, has someone come appraise their house and they take down all of their pictures and all of the stuff like that. And the appraiser comes in and thinks somebody whites live, white lives there and they appraise it for a certain amount. And then when they think somebody's black living there, they appraise it for a lesser amount. We've seen that happen countless of times. You can Google the instances in which it's happened. Uh, That should never, ever, ever happen because the value of your home is the value of your home. It doesn't matter what color you are. Uh, It doesn't matter what color the neighborhood is. The value is the value. And there are ways that you can find out what the value is, your true value is, or at least get an idea as to what the value is before, you know, someone comes out and appraises your home. Um, you know, but it's been a lot of things over the years that have set us back. Uh, the lack of information, um, the real estate collapse in 2007, 2008, uh, that was key because up until that time, uh, there was a thing called subprime mortgages and subprime mortgages was a situation where, you know, people were getting, High, they were high, there were high risk loans uh, for the lenders, and they were at extremely high interest rates. And what I mean by high risk is, um, there were mortgages being given out to people who barely had a pulse. I mean, I knew <laughs> I had a friend who was a loan officer. I mean, like he literally closed the loan on a guy on a second mortgage on his house. And this guy literally was in the hospital um, overcoming an illness. I don't want to say he was on his deathbed, but he was overcoming an illness. He should not have been signing papers in the hospital. I don't necessarily know how coherent he was signing papers in the hospital, but my friend was there to sign him. And so like when you have stuff like that and subprime mortgages, these high ass interest rates, um, it may, it mostly affected us as black people, as minorities, uh, Latinos as well. Uh, and a lot of times I think, you know, loans were given to people who really honestly weren't qualified. Uh, let's just be honest. And that goes through black, white, green, yellow, whatever the color is. Um, I, 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 I remember working for a subprime lender. And here's the thing, like if you've worked long enough, you've worked for a subprime lender. Now, what you'll hear nowadays is people say, you'll hear a company say, oh, well, we weren't in the subprime business. We didn't get any of those bad loans. Bullshit. Everybody and their mama was was in subprime. And the reason being was that the turnover rate was so crazy. You could close a loan, like I said, literally with, I mean, like, <laughs> there used to be this such thing called 
Nina loans, all right? Nina, N-I-N-A. No income, and that's for no income, no assets. So imagine being able to purchase a home, basically uh, King Germ from the Pod and Saved Our Marriage uh, podcast comes in. He says, okay, well, hey, I'm King Germ. I work at Home Depot. I am a manager. I make $15,000 a month. And the lender looks at his paperwork. They look at his credit and they say, well, hmm, well, you know, he pays his bills. He's got, you know, he's got some credit of 15,000 in, you know, Florida. Uh, Give him a loan. And he has not shown any income or any assets or nothing. You, it was based on whatever his job, whatever he said he worked whatever his job title was and how many, you know, how his credit looked. And so if his credit was fine and the job title was fine and it matched or quote unquote matched uh, what you think somebody would make in that particular field or what have you, then they did those loans and those were extremely popular subprime loans. Um, And then the economy tanked and the mortgage industry tanked and loans like this, they ended up giving to people who couldn't afford the loan. And, you know, everything went belly up. 2007, 2008, huge crash in, in the mortgage industry. And and subsequently, the economy. The mortgage industry, we were already in the recession. And the mortgage industry crashing just really made it worse. Fortunately enough for me, I got out of the mortgage industry at that particular time. I was out for like a year and a half, maybe two years. Because it, it was... I mean, it literally was the wild, wild west. I mean, like I could tell you guys some, and it, it was, I'll be honest. I never did anything illegal. Let me just put that out there. Never did anything illegal. Never made anybody sign anything that they weren't fully aware that they were signing. But they did give people loans, home loans at 10, 11, 12, 15%. I mean, that's, you know how crazy that sounds? For you to get a $10,000 second mortgage on a signature loan, and your interest rates like 25%. I mean, that's like highway robbery. But it was being done and, P- and nobody cared because everybody was making money hand over fist. Um, but unfortunately, like I said, for black people, uh, we caught we caught the short end of that stick. Trust me when I tell you. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of legal barriers that we faced and there's a lot of things that we had to go through uh, to try to close the wealth gap, to try to close the home ownership gap. And I don't necessarily know that we as black people are, are trying to do any of those things, but it's just, it's the gap is so wide that it's, it's crazy when you think about it. Um, but we've moved forward. Uh, is there still discrimination in the housing? Uh, yes, not as prevalent as it, as it once was. Uh, now people, you know, most people can get a home. It's just, it is so the process. And that's the thing I always tell people like, and I, I was telling Baylor this, you know, several times, the process shouldn't be this hard. You take an application, you put your down payment down, they appraise the house, you sign a contract, you close it and you provide whatever documents that the underwriter is asking for. It shouldn't be any harder than that. It, honestly, that whole process should take at max 30 days. 
but there are kinks in the process and there's not anybody that's willing to step up and say, Hey, this is a problem right here. Or, Hey, that's a problem right there. You need to fix that. Nobody's going to do that because it's too much money. There's way too much money in that industry to, for anybody to do anything. I've often said, like, there were times in my career, I'll be honest. There were times in my career where I was like, man, I'm out of this shit. I'm done with the mortgage industry. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this no more. I'm tired because it, it was like to the point where you just work so much and the work was cool because the money was coming in. But at the same time, like, what good is the money if you too tired to go spend it? You know, if you're working 50, 60 hour weeks, what good is the money? You know, and, and I never worked that much, but I, I, I worked at, at some points in different companies and I worked for all the big companies. The Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, you name it, I worked there. Um, but even in doing that, I mean, like it, you can easily, and I know a lot of people that did burn themselves out. Um, but ultimately, I think we, we're in a position now where, you know, we have to move forward. And as we move forward, we have to get our, we have to arm ourselves with as much information as we can. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast was to make sure that I could give you as much information as possible. Um, so where are we right now? Right now, uh, I, I, I told people, you know, a couple of years ago, like I wasn't sure what the post COVID, um, industry would look like. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because when COVID happened, the housing market exploded. You would think that with a global pandemic, that it would slow down, but it didn't. The housing market exploded. Interest rates fell down. Everybody and their mama was buying a house. If you bought a house during COVID, God bless you. My advice to you, don't refinance because that 2% interest rate that you got ain't coming back no time soon. Trust me when I tell you. Um, I think interest rates as of today, what's the interest rate today? It's like close to seven, like 6.8, something like that. I don't know. I don't keep up with the rates, but, um, you know, the rates are high now and, and they're going to come back down eventually. But, you know, there's certain things and certain shifts with the economy that will make it. But the feds have raised the rate and they're probably going to raise it again to, quote unquote, uh, stave off uh, inflation. But let me let you in on a little secret. Inflation is here. And what they're not telling you is that we're already in a recession. Uh, you don't have to call it a recession, but it is a recession. Um, and again, you have to understand how money flows for, for you to understand how and why we're in the spot that we're in and why rates keep going up. The rates go up, in essence, to deter spending. But people are still spending money. And they're spending money at a extremely high clip. Um but here's the thing that happened, like I mentioned earlier, before COVID, uh, during COVID, uh, rates went down. Uh, the housing market exploded because, you know, there was a bunch of housing houses on the market and there was more demand than there was for, for the supply. So I'll give you an example. If let's say my house is worth, I don't know, 400,000. So let's say if I try to sell my house during the height of COVID and during the height of the, um, the, 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 the real estate boom, if you will, of the, of the COVID pandemic, 
if I wanted to, if it was worth four hundred thousand, okay, I'm gonna sell it for four hundred thousand, right? And so I put it on the market for four hundred thousand. King Germ comes, he sees my house. Hey, I want to put a contract on it for four hundred thousand. Baylor comes over the next day. I mean, later on that day, I want to put a contract on it for four twenty five. Don't Uncle Dolomite comes over. He says, I want to put a contract on it for four fifty. You see what happened there? So now I'm looking at a contract of four fifty for a house that costs that that's worth four hundred thousand. They're paying fifty thousand more, and that's money going into my pocket. And then Lunch Meat Mumford comes over and says, "You know what? I'll pay five hundred k cash for that house." <laughs> what you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take that five hundred k, and I'm out because not only that. I've profited 100K over what I was selling the house for. So I'm going to get even more money because I don't owe 400. Let's say I owe 200 on it. That's even more money right there. So once the house is paid off, I'm good. Now, it's going to, it may take me a minute to find the house that I'm looking for, but hey, I got 500K. I got 500K in, the, in my pocket or in the bank, if you will. Um, and that happened a lot. That happened a lot during COVID. And I just, I would tell anybody that was listening, this can't keep going. This can't keep going. I saw the money that was coming in and I told one of my coworkers, even the money that we were making, this can't keep going. And then it got to a point where people in our industry, like myself, who are quote unquote experts, if you will, uh, experienced underwriters were getting offered lots of money and i told my brother who was also an underwriter i said this can't keep going there's no way i mean the, there was no way the industry was going to survive that like you you can't you can't come in and offer me 16 dollars an hour <laughs> not that i was making 16 dollars an hour that's the first number that came in my head but let's just say $16 an hour when you were giving me five before. So before I was making $5 an hour, now I'm, now you're going to give me 16 and you're going to give me a $20,000, sign-on bonus, a $50,000 sign-on bonus. And I mean, these people were literally blowing me up every single day on LinkedIn to the point where I, they got my phone number, they would call email hey hey if you're looking for a new opportunity i could get you this i mean like i felt like i needed an agent at one point fortunately enough for me i didn't leave where i was but i almost did and i just I, I told i told my wife i told anybody that would listen this can't keep going like there's no way that the industry could survive this and what we're seeing now is what it looks like on the other side of covid um people thought that the wave was going to keep rising well guess what the wave at some point has to hit the shore and when the wave hit the shore the market kind of dried up a little bit the demand interest rates started creeping up so you go from a two percent you know a two percent interest rate to a four percent interest rate you're not you may scare some people off but you go from a two percent interest rate national two percent interest rate to six percent you're scaring a whole bunch of people off because now you can't afford it. And I'll just give you an idea of what, what the difference is. So if I bought a house during COVID at 2% and my interest, and let's say my interest rate was 2%, and let's say my payment, my mortgage payment was 
right? If I bought that same house now, same price, the only difference is the interest rate is six and a half. Roughly, my payment could go from two grand to 4,500. You see the difference in that? I mean, like some people will say, you know what? I don't care. I need a house. I'll bite the bullet, whatever. I'll refinance later. Most people aren't going to make that move. That's just not, I mean, that's hustling backwards, honestly. Even if you can afford it, I think that's hustling backwards. But that's just my opinion. I'm not hustling backwards financially ever again. Um, So that's what the other side of COVID looks like. And that's where we are now. Um, And honestly, you know, the housing, the prices really haven't cooled off that much. Uh, You would think that, okay, well, eventually they're going to come down. No, there's still a demand. Now, I will say this much. There's a demand on the purchases of homes. For people like me, if I were looking to sell my house, I could sell my house, but I'm not going to. There's no way I could get for my house what I would, what I could have gotten two years ago. There's no way. Because two years ago, I might have 20 people putting in contract bids for my house. Now I'd be lucky to get two. And it's not that I live in a bad area and I think I live in a nice area, but that's just where, where the market is right now. And that's not to say that the market won't be back where it was. I don't think it'll ever be where it was, but again, this is information that I think is necessary for people to understand. And again, I'm not, the last thing I would do is try to discourage anyone from purchasing, purchasing a home. I think home ownership is dope. I love getting out in the yard and cutting my grass and, uh, <laughs> standing you know my, on my deck uh you know with my grill and everything i love doing it. i do that all the time uh and that's one of the joys of me being a homeowner um i also have to you know fix toilets when they get broken i have to you know take care of stuff when it gets broken because i'm the homeowner you know i can't call uh mr bookman <laughs> so um but yeah, I, th- I think the, the biggest thing is you just have to kind of arm yourself with uh, as much information as you can. Um, right now, the biggest thing, the biggest demographic that is having an uphill battle as far as homeowners is millennials. Now, I don't know how old millennials are. I know the term. Uh, I don't know if it's Generation Z, Generation X, Y, whoever. Um but it's, it's difficult for them because a lot of them grew up as renters. Uh, a lot of them grew up in homes and they want their own homes. And what they're finding out is that you got to make money. You know, if, if you buy a $400,000 house, you know, and in 2023 and you got to put 20% down, well, that's 80,000 right there. And putting down 80,000 is kind of tough when you only make it 50. You see what I'm saying? So like that makes it that much tougher. And then you still got that other 320,000 that you got to you got to pay back over a 30 year period. And you have to ask yourself, if you're 25 years old, are you going to be in this house for the rest of your life? Most of us won't. Um I'm probably one of the few people who've bought one house and still been in the same house that I'm in. Um, most of my friends have bought either or sold their houses or what have you, but a couple. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's very important that, you know, we have this information 
and that we seek to get as much information as we can uh, so that we don't fall into the same pitfalls as those who came before us did. Um, in all in all, I think the housing market is going to be there. And I think it's important that, you know, those who study the market, you, again, you don't have to be a financial wizard, but you have to study the market. You have to take a look at um, where it is you want to be. And I always tell people this, you know, particularly when you're buying a house, if you want to be there 10, 15 years, what you have to look at is this house that you're purchasing. Is there a school nearby? Are there parks nearby? Are there grocery stores? Or do you live in a food desert? What I mean by that is, is it just liquor stores and McDonald's and, you know, chicken wing places and that type of stuff just surrounding it? Or do you have to go out and about to find, you know, these things, these these amenities, if you will? Um, you know, if you're moving into a, um, <clears throat> a, um, a HOA, you know, is it, uh, is it swim tennis? Is it a golf course? Uh, you know, what else is being built around in the area? Like I, like not too far from where I live, uh, maybe about a, about two miles away, there's this um, apartment complex being built for senior citizens. Now that's cool because, you know, senior citizens, they ain't going to be in the projects hanging out, but it's just like it's built right across the street from a grocery store. And it's really an inconspicuous place to have a senior living place. But, you know, that stuff affects value. Um, you know, so you, you have to be mindful of all that. You almost have to be uh, somewhat of a wizard to kind of get ahead of some of the things that you may see coming into the area where you live. Um, but it's really about information. And I think as long as you arm yourself with the information, you're, you're one step ahead of the game. But if you don't get the information, then you're always going to be behind. And at this point, none of us, whether or not you're investing in real estate or not, can afford to be behind. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for me. Thank you for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Be sure to, to subscribe to the podcast. The podcast drops every Thursday at midnight. From time to time, we drop bonus episodes on Sundays. Uh, if you feel inclined, hit us up on Cash App, dollar sign, T-W-E-L-V-E-K-Y-L-E. Again, before I sign off, let me just say this one more time. If you have any questions, any concerns, anything that you want to bounce off of me, hit me up. I'm always available, always down to talk. You know where to find me. Again, that's going to do it for me. I am your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5,000.